America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is The Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day for the United States. We hosted the man of the hour. The man of the hour, of course, being Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. He spoke to the Congress of the United States for 16 minutes, most of it through a translator. Then he went into heavily accented English at the end of his speech. It was all profoundly moving and nothing like it. Well, maybe nothing since a previous address by someone so beloved in the United States, he actually became an honorary citizen. When all this is over with God willing a, a good result, uh, then obviously that's the kind of honor that ought to be extended to President Zelensky. I, um, I, I, how can anyone not be involved with this? Uh, the President of the United States responded after Zelensky's speech, uh, indicating that there would be a big new rush of weapons and supplies, another $800 million in new funding for Ukraine security. By the way, I, I know that generally the American people have expressed a great deal of skepticism about foreign aid of any kind, but I think most folks, you have to agree, this is different. This could actually save lives. It could actually save the cause of liberty. What happens if they actually crush the resistance in Ukraine and occupy the country and kill the leaders of the government, God forbid, a thousand times? But the, the matter is so clearly important. I do not recall... I do not recall a, uh, an occurrence in my lifetime when the distinction between good and evil has been so clear. Yes, I think the fight against Al-Qaeda terrorists was, uh, was a worthy fight and a righteous fight and continues to be. And I think the terrorists are evil. But again, they are individuals. That is a criminal act and, and really going against terrorism and stopping it is is not a war in a normal sense it's a it's a police action and it's one in which uh, despite a great deal of criticism and a great deal of pain and an enormous amount of sacrifice where the united states was successful this is an uncertain prospect uh, one can only add prayers and support uh, send in money if you can, uh, we just did, and I, it 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 is an emergency, and it seems to me the idea of the United States spending some money, they ought to include uh, providing some planes, which is what President Zelensky particularly wants, but they are not doing that. Um, Brett Stevens has a column today. This is how World War Three begins. Joe Scarborough has a column in which he talks about a potential way out. Uh, the, the foreign minister for the Russian regime, uh, Lavrov, uh, says that the negotiations, which are still going on, actually are, uh, he thought, making some progress. 
Uh, does that mean a Ukrainian surrender of any kind? Apparently not, no. And that was something that Zelensky made very clear today when he spoke to Congress. We will play a few highlights of that speech because I do want to comment on it. And it is a profoundly historic. It's one of those things that unless you have a, a heart of stone or unless you are completely blinded to the world around you and to other human beings around you, to be unmoved, to be uninvolved, to criticize anyone for actually sending them taxpayer-funded uh, weapons that, that they need to try to protect themselves and protect civilians and to try to put an end to this horror, to, to take that position, you have to be so far removed. This is one of those quotes that I always come back to. Uh, uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, the uh, great justice of the Supreme Court, uh, it never got to be chief justice. He was an associate justice. He said, as life is action and passion, a man who does not take part in the action and passion of his time runs the risk of being judged not to have lived. We're alive right now. There are children, there are old people, there are innocent women, there are civilians of every kind who are not alive anymore because of the, this monstrous and, and completely unjustified uh, attack. And, and again, the clarity of the division between good and evil. I, um, I'm, thank God, a little bit too young to have any memories, even as a little tiny kid, of, of Hitler or Stalin. Hitler, uh, Hitler uh, was killed himself uh, before I was born. And Stalin uh, 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 died in 1953 when I was very little and did not have, and my parents spared me from knowledge of Stalin, though everybody knew that he was a stone-cold killer. But when it came to war, remember, Stalin and Russia were on the same side that we are, not through any choice that Stalin made. It was through that irrational decision that Hitler made in June of 1941. It's a decision that cost him his life ultimately and cost him the war, but it was a decision to attack Russia. He had a treaty with Russia. Russia was his ally in the first two years of the war. And uh, the, the idea that, that uh, this is another quote that is worth chewing on is Euripides, great Greek playwright some 400 years before the Common Era, uh, Euripides said, those whom the gods would destroy, they first make mad. And they don't call him Mad Vlad for nothing. Uh, there was a body of a Russian model who branded uh, Putin a psychopath she went on a good deal of social media rant against Putin, and then she disappeared. And there was a great deal of suspicion at the time. She disappeared a year ago 
that this was uh, on account of her anti-Putin sentiments. Turns out this is one crime he's not guilty of. The boyfriend, her boyfriend who had lived with her for a time, uh, has confessed to strangling her and putting her body in a suitcase. So um, uh, this, of course, is getting all kinds of publicity where they lure you into reading about the case uh, by, number one, the pictures of the young lady. I'm so sorry she was killed by her boyfriend, and then the implication that Vladimir Putin was involved. He's involved with a much worse killing because it's on a more massive scale. Uh, we will talk about ideas for how this ends, how to get out of it, or what happens if it does move to the next level. Uh, we'll also be talking about uh, a, another horrifying hate crime incident against Asian people and against Asian women in particular. And this one left a 60-year-old woman uh, severely beaten. She was hit on the head 125 times by this uh, career criminal with uh, uh, more than a dozen previous offenses. We'll get to that story and much more coming up on The Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. On the Michael Medved show, uh, the U.S. Senate unanimously approved, unanimously, a resolution. Uh, this was late yesterday, seeking investigations of Russian President Vladimir Putin and his regime for war crimes over the invasion of Ukraine. Moments ago, uh, with the scrum of reporters in the White House, there was a reporter, I don't know which one, who asked uh, President Biden very directly, do you believe that Mr. Putin is a war criminal? And he actually was walking away. He came back to the reporter, the President of the United States, and said, yes, he's, I think he's a war criminal, which his administration hasn't said before. But now they are. The uh, bipartisan measure, which was uh, introduced in the Senate, by Lindsey Graham, who else? Republican of South Carolina says the Senate strongly condemns the violence, war crimes, crimes against humanity being carried out by Russian military forces under Putin's direction. It encourages international criminal courts to investigate Putin, his Security Council, and military leaders for possible war crimes. Now, this is problematic. There are some people who say, including a lot of people with the administration, that talking about prosecuting Putin as a war criminal is a, a way to discourage any kind of settlement or any kind of end to this horror. If Putin believes that if he gives up his effort to completely destroy the country of Ukraine and the Ukrainian government, if he gives that up, he may be subject to actual prosecution and ending up behind bars somewhere. Uh, that's probably not a way to get us toward a more peaceful resolution. But 
it it is important and it's crucial for Putin's crimes to begin to have consequences. This is what happens. It's part of the problem with crime in Seattle, for goodness sake. It's got problems with crime in New York. And yes, problems with crime on the world stage. If you get away with something and you get away with it again and again and again, and maybe you have some kind of compulsion, maybe you're partially sick, or maybe you're just a bad dude, maybe you're just a bad guy, and you can get away with doing evil and again and again and again and no consequences to you, at least in this world, uh, if that happens, of course you're going to continue down that path of destruction. Brett Stevens has a powerful piece in the New York Times today. Uh, this is how World War III begins. And he talks about the uh, before the invasion, we had the Russian invasions of Georgia, Crimea, and eastern Ukraine, the Russian carpet bombing of Aleppo and Syria, the use of exotic radioactive and chemical agents against Russian dissidents on British soil, uh, Russian interference in U.S. elections, and massive hacks of our computer networks, the murder of Boris Nemtsov. Remember, that was right on a bridge. He was shot. And, uh, and, and, and in, in the Western world, I believe that was in London, and the blatant poisoning and imprisonment of Alexei Navalny, were any of these sovereignty violations, legal violations, treaty violations, war crimes and crimes against humanity met with a strong, united, uh, punitive response that met, uh, might have averted the next round of outrages? Did Western responses to other violations of global norms Syria's use of chemical weapons against civilians, Beijing's eradication of Hong Kong's autonomy, Iran's war by proxy against its neighbors. Did any of that, the response to any of that, give Vladimir Putin pause? In short, Putin didn't have any reason to think before February 24th when he invaded Ukraine that he wouldn't be able to get away with his invasion. He didn't have any reason to think that he wouldn't be able to get away with it. Contrary to the claim that Putin's behavior is a result of Western provocation, like refusing to absolutely rule out eventual NATO membership for Ukraine, the West has mainly spent 22 years placating Putin through a long cycle of resets and wrist slaps. The devastation of Ukraine is the fruit of this appeasement. And by the way, it's bipartisan. It's bipartisan. There was a great deal of this in the Clinton administration. There was some of it in the Bush administration. Uh, there was a great deal of it in the Obama administration and, yes, in the Trump administration, where uh, Trump even now says, oh, Putin's changed. In other words, he used to be a good guy. He was surprised that Putin actually moved forward to actually do the invasion. Why be surprised, given his track record? They, uh, Brett Stevens doesn't even mention the destruction of Grozny, an internal matter where they basically leveled an entire city. Now, Grozny is not a beautiful or historic city in any way like Kiev or like other cities in, uh, uh, in Ukraine. But... Uh, 
the idea that there's going to be one offender who time and time and time again not only goes up to the line, but goes over it. And he's gone over the line. And people would say, that doesn't show how strong Russia is. It shows how weak Russia is. Well, that's true. But the problem is we look weaker by not responding. And uh, this is a, a real problem. And by the way, why, on what basis would you give Russia a veto over Ukraine's membership in NATO? Isn't it obvious that one of the very first things when this war is over that Ukraine is going to want to do is to uh, affiliate with NATO? Is, isn't it the right of a sovereign country to determine its own foreign policy? Or does Putin insist as a basis for stopping the violence that Ukraine become, if not a possession of the Russian Federation, what they used to call a satellite. In other words, with no independent trajectory or no independent path or no independent control of its own motion, just circling around and around and around the wishes of the man in the Kremlin. Uh, we will get to uh, President Zelensky's speech and some of Biden's comments uh, following the speech, immediately following the speech, because uh, Biden uh, was much more forceful, coherent, uh, seemed determined, like his heart really is in this, uh, when he responded. And whether you're Republican or Democrat, whoever you are, whoever you favor, that's a good thing. We're all Americans right now, and actually we all should think of ourselves as Ukrainians as well. We'll get to more with some encouraging updates coming up on The Medved Show. Can I just say that you do more for radio than what high definition will ever do for television? This is The Michael Medved Show. One On the uh, Michael Medved show, uh, a, uh, an email came in that uh, I need to confront very directly and uh, sincerely. I mean, actually, I try to confront any email and question that way, but uh, this one especially. And uh, the email's from Scott in Santa Ana, California, and the uh, subject comments about short men. Hey, Michael says Scott, as a five-foot-four-inch uh, listener, please tell me why you felt the need to bring up Putin's height. China's leader looks like a tall guy. I've never heard you bring up that despot's height. Putin is one of the Hitlers of our time. No need to bring up his height. Just makes you sound petty or somewhat mean to short people. You're better than that. I... <laughs> I always hate that line. I appreciate the intention, but uh, you're better than that. You don't. You have no idea. Um, at least I thought you were. Seems like you have something to say about some short-statured men several times per year. 
Personally, I just don't think you can control your desire to bring up this prejudice on your part. What point are you trying to make? And is it a point you are really proud to make? Uh, Scott, good questions, well argued. I appreciate your giving me the benefit of the doubt. Um, I, I suspect that Putin is very sensitive uh, about his height. And uh, people used to talk about, and this is something I even remember discussing in high school history class, people talked about the Napoleonic complex. It turns out Napoleon wasn't all that short. He was probably about Putin's height, which for his own era was, um, was relatively well, was normal, it was average at that time. But uh, the, the point is that a, a number of people who've written about Napoleon, why did Napoleon have to go and invade Russia, which ended up destroying him? It was that idea that there was a certain insecurity that he had that was manifested in his uh, attempts to uh, his, his life regarding women uh, and, and certainly regarding his entire character. And uh, it's why the British, I think, in part to enrage Napoleon, uh, referred to him as um, the uh, the little corporal. And he wasn't a corporal, uh, and not obviously he was a very successful general before, and certainly he was a manly man. And Putin goes to great extents to make him seem like a manly man. And by the way. I did in a column, my column in the Wall Street Journal this week, I, uh, I, I actually talked about Putin's total fascination with Peter the Great, who was nearly seven feet tall. He was minimum of 6'8". So there you go, I'm mentioning a tall guy now. Um, there's a friend of mine uh, who I haven't talked to for years, but his name is uh, Ralph Kies, and it's spelled Keys. But he says, Kai's. And, and Ralph did a book called The Height of Your Life, which is a way that height differences influence um, people's lives and the way people perceive them. And do I uh, have any kind of deep animosity toward short people? Certainly not. Some of the most precious people in the world are short people. In fact, some of them are very, very short right now because they're babies. But... Uh, no, I, my, uh, we have a daughter-in-law who is not tall, and many, many people in our family. I mean, my, my late mom was a short person. And uh, again, do I um, uh, take out some of my hostility toward Putin sometimes by uh, making fun of him in concerning very personal aspects like his need to go bare-chested everywhere and to uh, uh, to be a judo champion and to write a book. By the way, he's lost all of his judo honors. They've been taken away from him, which is a good thing. But um, uh, I appreciate what you're saying here. And my wife, by the way, has said the same thing to me, so I know you're right, that uh, I, I should uh, be easy not to naturally assume that uh, people who are are uh, smaller than average. By the way, the the greatest man of the moment is also not a um, a tall guy. Uh, President Zelensky, as you could see very clearly on screen, 
is uh, um, powerful and noble and not tall. Okay, thank you for the uh, email, Scott. Uh, here is President Zelensky in his speech. He spoke first in Ukrainian, and then he showed a three-minute video showing some of the devastation with images that honestly make you cry. And they're images of uh, uh, peaceful people, Ukrainians walking in the park, obviously before the war, and then some of the devastation. You can actually see the rockets hitting. Someone is it, 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 There's a, a remarkable brief scene where you can see an old man walking in a park, and then right in front of him, there's a missile that strikes a an apartment building. And um, it's all extremely moving. And uh, even before showing that video, Zelensky invoked American history, uh, starting with Pearl Harbor, actually, through a translator. Listen, this is 13A. Remember Pearl Harbor. Terrible morning of December 7, 1941, when your sky was black from the planes attacking you. Just remember it. Remember September the 11th, a terrible day in 20, in 2001, when evil tried to turn your cities, independent territories, in battlefields, when innocent people were attacked, attacked from air, yes just like no one else expected it. You could not stop it. Our country experiences the same every day. Right now, at this moment, every night, for three weeks now, various Ukrainian cities, Odessa and Kharkiv, Chernihiv and Sumy, Zhytomyr and Lviv, Mariupol and Dnipro, Russia has turned the Ukrainian sky into a source of death for thousands of people. And uh, this went along with a theme that actually they put on screen, which is close the skies over Ukraine. Uh, he went on, and I do want to play more of it, and then some of President Biden's announcement of uh, new uh, programs of aid for Ukraine. Uh, providing uh, missiles and armaments and air defenses, but not the planes or the uh, support of American piloted planes that um, that Zelensky says that he needs. Now, it's it's uh, according to a new poll, three out of four Americans actually support a no-fly zone over Ukraine, but most of Congress does not because they agree with the president that uh, that would bring us much closer to the point of war with uh, a country with the second most nuclear weapons in the world. And uh, what country used to have the third most nuclear weapons in the world? It was actually Ukraine. But uh, the United States had signed a document, so had Russia, to uh, and Budapest, the Budapest Memorandum, to protect Ukraine uh, in the case that Ukraine gave up its nukes, which it did. Those nukes had been placed there when Ukraine was part of Russia. Russia took them back and allegedly or supposedly, I think this was fairly verified, remember trust but verify, 
they were destroyed. Uh, so what happens to destroy, if not Russia, this Russian invasion and great evil? We'll be right back. Michael Medved show uh, talking about the worldwide, uh, specifically the American reaction, of course, to uh, Vladimir Zelensky's uh, speech to the Congress earlier today, a speech that was uh, greeted by a standing ovation. And as far as I could tell, looking at out over the C-SPAN coverage, there wasn't anybody pointedly sitting down. No, not even the pro-Putin caucus of people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Madison Cawthorn, who said that he thinks Zelensky is a thug and the Ukrainian regime is incredibly evil. Uh, how do you define evil, really, Madison? Would, would it be the side of life be goodness and the side of death be evil? to destroy human beings rather than to sustain and protect them? In what sense, then, is the Ukrainian government incredibly evil? What an idiot. I mean, what, and not even a particularly useful idiot. In fact, I think Madison Cawthorn has earned the distinction of being a useless idiot, which is a new term even going beyond Lenin. Uh, here's Zelensky invoking in his speech through translator, the MLK, I have a dream speech. But he's not dreaming. What he says is, I have a need. Uh, listen, clip 17. I have a dream. These words are known to each of you today. I can say, I have a need. I need to protect uh, our sky. I need your decision, your help, which means exactly the same, the same you feel when you hear the words, I have a dream. Ladies and gentlemen, friends, Ukraine is grateful to the United States for its overwhelming support for everything that your government and your people have done for us. I call on you to do more. New packages of sanctions are needed constantly, every week, until the Russian military machine stops. Restrictions are needed for everyone on whom this unjust regime is base. We propose that the United States sanctions all politicians in the Russian Federation who remain in their offices and do not uh, uh, cut ties with those who are responsible for the aggression against Ukraine. Okay, there is um, um, more. Uh, there's the end of the speech in English. But it's important to hear that the President of the United States did the right thing in responding uh, directly to the, uh, to the Zelensky speech with announcements of new spending for Ukraine. Uh, here is uh, President uh, Biden, clip 19. It includes 800 anti-aircraft systems, 
to make sure the Ukrainian military can, can, to, can continue to stop the planes and helicopters that have been attacking their people and to defend their Ukrainian airspace. And at the request of President Zelensky, we have identified and are helping Ukraine acquire additional longer-range anti-aircraft systems and the munitions for those systems. Okay, and then this, uh, a moment of candor. This is clip 14. Now, I want to be honest with you. This could be a long and difficult battle, but the American people will be steadfast in our support of the people of Ukraine in the face of Putin's immoral, unethical attacks on civilian populations. We are united in our abhorrence of Putin's depraved onslaught, and we're going to continue to have their backs as they fight for their freedom, their democracy, their very survival. And then finally, uh, this uh, about Putin. This is President Biden again. Putin is inflicting appalling, appalling devastation and horror on Ukraine, bombing apartment buildings, maternity wards, hospitals. I mean, it's, it's god-awful. I was speaking about this with the, our, 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 our commander behind me here, General Milley. I mean, it just is amazing. Yesterday, we saw reports that Russian forces were holding hundreds of doctors and patients hostage in the largest hospital in Mariupol. These are atrocities. They're an outrage to the world. And the world is united in our support for Ukraine and our determination to make Putin pay a very heavy price. Okay, and uh, the very heavy price, uh, will it go beyond uh, sanctions and economic damage? And uh, there was, must be some change and and this is the theme of a very thought-provoking column that actually has a fairly fresh idea about settling this war it's a column by Joe Scarborough who before he was a um, had his show the morning Joe show on MSNBC was a conservative Republican Congress member from Florida and he was elected I think he served three terms in the house in any event he uh, says that there are three things, nothing to do with his three terms of the House, that the United States uh, should do to change its policy, to temper its response. He says, number one, stop playing defense. And what that means is don't tell the world what you won't do, what you'll never do. Uh, Biden has told people time and time again that we are not going to get directly involved, we're not going to send troops in. Well, what if there were some ultimate horror, like uh, Putin actually using a chemical weapon to kill tens of thousands of people? Uh, all of that is possible. Uh, Joe Scarborough says that uh, we should, uh, number one, don't uh, stop playing defense, stop talking about what you wouldn't do, talk about what you will do, in response to further horrors. Uh, secondly, be disruptive. Biden should change the dynamic by employing his own disruptive tactics. The United States should move expeditiously, writes Joe Scarborough, to have the UN General Assembly create humanitarian safe zones in Ukraine that allow civilians to escape slaughter. Putin would be assured that these zones would not be used for military purposes. However, any force targeting civilians there would immediately become a target of UN peacekeepers or even NATO. 
a NATO more plausible and more formidable, of course, than UN peacekeepers. And third, he says, guard your words. Just as nothing is gained by Biden's declarations of what the United States will not do, the same is true of U.S. officials making statements suggesting Putin has no choice but to fight to the end. While cable hosts and opinion columnists are free to call the Russian tyrant a war criminal, U.S. ambassadors to the United Nations should be more prudent. If Putin believes his future is inside a cage at The Hague, that's where they have the International Court of Criminal Justice, he will have no incentive to end this war. The same holds true for senior U.S. senators calling for regime change. That's you, Lindsey Graham. Providing Russia's nuclear-armed president an off-ramp from the military catastrophe he created remains the best hope for the people of Ukraine and the world. So what could that off-ramp really be? I mean, the idea of creating humanitarian safe zones in Ukraine? Well, sure, that's a natural way to at least reduce the current suffering, but the chances that uh, Vladimir Putin actually accepts that are very low. They, meanwhile, on Russian state TV, of which uh, Putin controls every minute that goes out there, except when a brave uh, young producer on the state channel actually holds up a sign saying, no war. Um, what, aside from that, Putin controls everything. And right now, the Russian state TV is all about the reparations that Americans are going to have to pay uh, when the war is over, as if uh, we will have to pay for the damage that our sanctions have done and maybe reimburse individual Russians who will have a certain amount of suffering because of what is happening here. There's a new report. It's, it's very moving and it's strange about the uh, prisoners of war who have been taken by the Ukrainians, well-treated and very revealing what they are talking about concerning their own mindset. Over a thousand prisoners of war so far. Uh, there is so much more. There's also domestic stories about a public works project gone terribly awry, about an effort to trade gas, uh, and not gas, that was very valuable, to trade grass for cash. And that's grass as in lawn, not marijuana. That and much more coming up in this greatest nation on God's green earth. 